afternoon. If you turn with me please today to the book of Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 2, unto the angel or the messenger of the church of Ephesus write, verse 7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. There are, as we know, seven of these churches, and although the messages to each differ, they all end the same way. He that hath an ear, Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. In the first three, which are often viewed as representing historical aspects of Christianity, that command occupies the penultimate position, while in the last four, which are often viewed as representing elements of the church coming down to the last day, they occupy the last position. But in every case, the churches... The commandment to the church ends with these words, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So we may reasonably suppose that this is something that the Lord Jesus, who is the author of each one of these little letters, uh, considered to be very important, that he commends to them that they should hear what the Spirit is saying unto the churches. Turn with me, please, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now the King James unfortunately has an ecclesiastical bias to it, so you might be forgiven for reading this verse 12 to mean that these apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers are perfecting the saints and are doing the work of ministry and are building up the body of Christ and that is not an accurate representation of what verse 12 is saying Paul is not saying that at all Um, so let me read you what two modern how two modern translations put it because I think you'll see that it's saying something quite different from that the ESV says to equip read has verse 12 this way to equip the saints for ministry so they may build up the body of Christ The CEB reads it this way, His purpose was to equip God's people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ. If you were to ask most people who are the ministers in your church, they would tell you, well, it's the guy who stands up in the front and delivers the the sermon in the morning, and then we have a youth minister, and we have a this minister and a that minister, and... But if I read this verse correctly, it's not the people up in the front who are the ministers. The people in the pews 
are the ministers. It's the saints who are in the church who are the ministers, and it is they who are building up the body of Christ. In other words, if we were to look at this in cinema type of lingo, we would say that the leading roles are being played by the saints, and the supporting cast are the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. They are building up the saints, and the saints are building up the body of Christ. Now that puts a very different sort of responsibility onto the people who are listening. Because if, if the minister is the man who stands up in the front, and if the people who are sitting in the pews are just ac- occupying a, a passive role, then there's very little responsibility on their part to do anything with what they hear. On the other hand, if they are the leading uh, lights in this, and if the role of the, the, the pastors and the teachers and the evangelists is simply as a supporting role to the people who are the ministers of the church and who are building up the body of Christ, then the primary responsibility lives not with the, the speaker, but with the listener. And so I want to spend a little bit of time today talking about the responsibilities of listening, of critical listening of being careful to what it is that is heard. We, we, we often sing with the children, be careful little ears what you hear, but uh, it's something that might pertain to the rest of us as well. Now for all of us, that is really our primary occupation, is listening. Even for those who, of us who speak publicly, it occupies probably only a very small portion of the time that we spend in the assembly. Maybe tops 10%, maybe less than that. Most of our time, for many people, of course if you're female it's 100% of your time, but even if you're male it's probably 90% of your time you are preoccupied with listening and not with speaking. We live in a Sesame Street world. Um, From the very earliest times we are taught to appreciate um, we are taught to appreciate what it is to have people who are well spoken speak to us, we like that kind of thing, we like to be entertained by our speakers we like them to capture our attention and that is uh, what we value greatly and people who don't give us that sometimes we don't have really too much use for them I've always thought that one of the reasons why Bill Clinton was and remains such a popular president was that he was absolutely the most brilliant speaker that I have ever heard. If you ever have a chance to listen to him in person, the man just takes all of the air out of the room. He is really an amazing speaker. But that is what we like. We like someone who makes it easy for us. We can sit there and just be entertained and we can absorb what, what is said and we don't have to work very hard at it. We don't like it when somebody makes us work at listening. But we have to, we have to recognize the fact that miners and jewelers are not usually the same people. People who can get something out of the earth are not typically the people who cut it to look nice, nor the salespeople in the jewelry store who lay it out on the velvet to make it 
show its very best. Some people can do all the pieces, but we have to recognize that in some pieces, some cases, we are going to be listening to men who have dug something out that is of value, and yet they just don't have the ability to present it maybe just as entertainingly as we might like, and so there is a responsibility on our part to take what they have and to make something of it. Now, this is not a lesson in alchemy. Um, I'm not going to tell you there's gold in every message. You can't get gold if there's only lead in the message. But fortunately, I don't think that's that common. I think more common is the fact that maybe it doesn't quite um, quite meet up to our standard of entertainment or what we would like, but there is still something there for us. So what I would like to do, uh, if I could, if I could just look at four different passages that have negative things to say about listening, and then we'll spend the balance of the time looking at what the Bible has, three things that the Bible passages speak, speak positively of listening. So we'll look first in Genesis, uh, in chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of the tree of the garden. Now if she had kept her mouth shut, he might not have made too much progress there. But when she opened it, what she demonstrated conclusively for the serpent was that her command of what God had said was inadequate. Because she misquoted God, and not not in just minor details, but in a fairly significant way. So at the very beginning, now I think it would be going too far to suggest that um, all of the fall was due to faulty listening. But I don't think we can doubt that faulty listening, faulty recall, faulty understanding of the word of God played some significant role. Uh, in the fall that we read of in Genesis 3. Let's move on to 1 Samuel chapter 15. First Samuel chapter 15, and you remember that Saul had been commanded to go out and to utterly destroy the Amalekites, and he, not apparently through ignorance or misunderstanding, but he quite deliberately decided not to carry that out. And so Saul was sent, Samuel was sent to him, and Samuel rebuked him. Uh, and Samuel says in verse 22, verse Samuel 15, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken or to listen than the fat of rams. So here's a negative. Here's a man who decided that he would partially listen to what was commanded to him. And here's what God has to say to him. I don't want your worship. Now, you would hear many men say that um, the highest thing that a Christian can do is worship. And so I'm going to take it from here that there is something higher than worship. 
and that is listening and obeying. God says, if you're not interested in listening to me and and doing what I tell you to do, don't bother worshiping me. Don't even bother to bring it to me. I I really don't care. I don't want your rams. I don't want your your sacrifices. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your animals. I want, first of all, that you listen and obey. That, that comes first. That's the absolute requirement, the minimum requirement. He doesn't say, I don't want worship. He says, I want listening and obedience first. They're the prerequisite to worship. Worship is nothing to God if we have not, first of all, listened and obeyed. Now let's turn over to the book of Second uh, Timothy. Second Timothy chapter um, 4 and verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap up to themselves teachers having itching ears. It's rather an interesting, um, rather an interesting way of, of putting it. Itching ears. In other words, we want to hear. We know what we want to hear, and we want to hear it, and we will hear it. Um, we're not really interested in what God has to say to us. We're interested in what we want God to say to us. So we'll we'll set the ground rules here on what we want to listen to. Supply and demand have a natural tendency to come into equilibrium, and so eventually, whatever it is that we want to listen to. That's what we will eventually get. And so we have here this negative view here of listening that uh, he says in the last times there will be people who um, want, uh, who have itching ears, who know what they want. We might think of the, uh, of Dr. Norman Vincent Peale and his feel good type of ministry. But I think he set the stage for many later preachers. Um, who give people a message of, of a feel-good message, a message where they can come and listen and they can leave and they can feel a little bit better about themselves. That's all that it seems really to be about in many cases. It's uh, We take a verse and we make something nice out of it and uh, we all leave feeling warmer and, and better about ourselves. That may or may not be the point of ministry. Sometimes it is good to have something that builds us up, and we'll talk a little bit about the different genres of ministry uh, in a little bit. But it also sometimes we need something different, something not necessarily bad, but just something different from what it is that we think uh, that we might need. Let's turn again for the final one of our negative ones to uh, the book of Luke. And we'll read in Luke chapter... Uh, eight. 
Luke chapter 8, and we'll read at verse 4. This is the Lord Jesus. And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. Some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he said, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. That sounds pretty familiar to us. Same thing that he said in Revelation 2 and 3. He says, Hear he that hath an ear, let him hear. There are four types of ground spoken up of here, but let's just look at the first three. There is the wayside, there where the seed falls and there's nothing for it there, and the way it goes. There's the uh, rocky ground. I don't think of New England, you know, with its rocks that have to be picked up and moved and made into stone walls. Think of our backyard here. Um, you'll notice, you know, come. August, that grass will just be as brown as can be, and that's because there's no soil there. It's just all rock underneath. Well, that's what that's what uh, is in view here in this particular soil. It's a very thin layer of soil. It may uh, superficially look good, but it can't really support any sort of life. And then the third one is thorns. And it doesn't say the thorns are there. It says the thorns spring up with it. So they come along with it. We're not talking about here about an emergency. We're not talking about people going through difficult times and their minds are on other things and they can't concentrate on the preacher's message. The Lord Jesus is not bashing people here that are having a difficult time of three. This is a lifestyle choice. And the thorns grow up with the seed. And so it's a it's the result of a period of time. Now we've got three three different types here. Let's think of three different people. Charlie likes to go to conferences. But Charlie has his preferred style of ministry. Charlie likes what he likes and he doesn't like anything else. When he goes to a conference, it is to hear people say the same thing, no matter that Charlie has heard them saying the same thing over and over again a hundred times. Charlie knows what he wants to hear, and he doesn't want to hear anything else. And Charlie drives away to a conference, and the first man that gets up speaks about Hezekiah's tunnel that he bore between the Gihon Spring and the Pool of Siloam. And the next fellow who gets up, he speaks about Ezekiel's temple and about how the large space that's around the temple that makes for a separation between the holy and the secular. And so it goes, and Charlie leaves, and he is just incensed. I drove all this distance, and all I got was a bunch of tunnels and temples. That's not what I came here for. I came for my ministry, and I didn't get it. I got something else. I don't know what these guys are up to. So that's Charlie. Charlie is a wayside listener. Charlie knows what he wants. He'll absorb what he takes. But anything else that gets thrown at him, no matter how valid it is, Charlie just tosses it aside. It's not his ministry. It's not what he wants to hear. Charlie is a wayside hearer. Charlie has a son, uh, Charlie Jr. And Charlie Jr. 
is quite different from his old man. Charlie Jr., no matter what you say, you, you, no matter what ministry he gets, he loves it. He's just pumped when he comes home from a conference. Charlie, how was the conference yesterday? Oh, it was great. Praise the Lord. It was wonderful. I enjoyed it so much. What did they talk about? Well, they talked about tunnels and temples. Well, what did they say about tunnels and temples, Charlie? Oh, well, well, you know, you really had to be there. But praise the Lord, it was wonderful. It'll all be gone by Tuesday, of course. But Charlie has no depth. There's nothing there. Charlie doesn't prepare himself. Charlie doesn't read his Bible. Charlie doesn't pray. Charlie is an SMO. He shows up uh, once a week, and that's it. Um, so Charlie is a, uh, a rocky ground listener. Doesn't really. He, he loves it when he hears it. It's all emotional for him, but he gets nothing more out of it. Charlie the third is unlike either of the other two. Charlie the third is uh, well educated, uh, highly intelligent. Charlie the third knows all about the verse uh, that you cannot serve God and Mammon. Um, in fact, he's even preached from it. But he doesn't really think that applies to him. Um, you know, that for the ordinary Christian, that's a good thing. He can only do so much, but he's an extraordinary Christian, and so he can have it both ways. And so Charlie the Third, outwardly everything looks pretty good for Charlie the Third. But someday Charlie the Third is going to wake up and discover that all the time that he was spending on all these things, there's all these um, thorns that have been growing up right alongside of him. When he thought that he was serving God and Mammon both acceptably, he's going to discover that the thorns are going to start to drain out his Christianity. And at at that time, it's really going to be pretty late for him to do anything about it. And so here we have three types of listeners. Now there's one more type of listener, and what we want to talk about for the balance of the time today uh, is about the good listeners. So let's turn over to what I think is one of the most, probably the most, to my mind, the most critical verses in the Bible, and that is in 1 Samuel. First Samuel chapter 3. Remember the story here, Samuel's in his bed, and um, he hears a voice, and he go, keeps going to Eli and saying, you called me, and Eli keeps saying, no, I didn't call you. Verse 8, and the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Poor Eli gets a lot of abuse. Um, I personally think rather highly of Eli. I think he was a man who, he was not a man who was naturally great. He was an ordinary man called into an extraordinary position. Most of your other great men, they come, you know, when they're young men. They, you know, they're maybe 30 when they come into their position and die when they're 70. Eli is 58 or 59 when he comes into the high priesthood and he continues to serve 
until he's 98. Um, and you hear a lot about what a wonderful mother Hannah is, and it seems to me that Hannah was not a mother at all. She's a great woman, but she's a great woman because she sacrificed motherhood. It was the one thing that she really dreamed of, the one thing she really wanted, and she laid that down on the altar. And so it's Eli, or maybe Mrs. Eli, I don't know if there was still one at this point. But he's the one who brings up this young man. And this is really a turning point in Israel's history. They had entered the land, but you read through the book of Judges, and for 400 years, that's like since our King James Bible was printed, for 400 years, but just gloom and doom. Nothing had ever really sparked anything. And with Eli and with Samuel, things change. And they change radically. If you had told poor old Eli, I don't think he ever really realized what he accomplished. If you had told him at his death, you know, Eli within a century, this is going to be the greatest nation on earth. He would never have guessed it. Never thought that it was coming. But he turned the thing around. And this is one of the great pieces of advice in Scripture. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. If you were to make this your motto, to... Live with this every single day. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. It would be life-transforming. It transformed Samuel. It transformed Israel. And I think when we look at Solomon next, I I think if I may be allowed to to suppose a little bit, that Solomon took what he his great message from what Eli said to Samuel. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And so this should be really the basis of all listening, to be listening for what the Lord has to say to us. Not for what I want the Lord to say to me, not to come and say, I want to hear this or that or the other thing, but to just listen. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the role of serendipity um, in listening, but something that we're not really looking for, but that God has to say to us. Now look over, if you will, in First Kings. First Kings chapter three. First Kings chapter three, and this is about Solomon, and he has gone up to Gibeon to alter there to offer there, uh, and he has a dream. And in verse nine, he says to God, "Give therefore thy servant an understanding or a listening heart." It's just a simple word. Uh, here that's here give therefore thy servant a listening heart to judge thy people you notice what he doesn't say when we heard about itching ears it was the organ itself that was uh, spoken of but here he doesn't say anything about his ears or his brain he says give therefore thy servant a listening heart in other words he's not interested just in hearing a lot of things that might be interesting or that might be Valuable or knowledgeable. He wants them to, to take resident in his innermost being, if you will. Speak to my heart, in other words. My listening heart. I want, I want my whole soul, I want my whole being to listen to what you have to say, to absorb that, not to be just taking it in superficially, but to make it very much a part of my whole being. 
And so this is another one of the great great pieces of Scripture, uh, a great command, give me a listening heart. Now we'll turn over for the final reading into the book of Acts. You're probably tired of turning uh, at this point. Book of the Acts, chapter 17. Paul is coming down the east coast of uh, Greece, and he um, leaves Thessalonica, uh, and he comes down to another town called Berea, verse 11. These were more noble, that is, the Jews in the synagogue at Berea. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Now, some people, of course, think the Bereans are the greatest thing. I'm not sure I totally have quite the same positive view of them, but you'll notice that there are some good things that are said about them. First of all, it says they received it with readiness of mind. They were not negatively inclined to hearing something new. This was different from what they heard, and they were willing to give it a fair hearing. doesn't say they just absorbed it uncritically, and it doesn't say that they just rejected it. It says they gave it a fair hearing. They absorbed it with a readiness of mind. They were willing to listen to them. And then it says that they searched the scriptures daily, daily, whether those things were so. So they took what they heard, and they took it and they began to look back. And they began to look at what they already knew. Because if Paul was preaching something to them, they could, have, they could understand something new in addition to Scripture, but they couldn't understand or accept something that was contrary to Scripture. If Scripture was the Word of God, then whatever Paul was bringing before them had to be consistent with what was taught in the Old Testament. And so they go back and they search the scriptures because what he is teaching, of course, is that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. And so he obviously had to go back through the Old Testament and he had to bring in illustrations of the Messiahship and what, how that was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he begins to do that here. And it says they search the scriptures Daily. Now you'll notice these people were not, um, they were not retired. They were, as far as I know, they were not people who were wealthy enough to just sit around and do anything. I assume that, you know, they were business people and they went to work every day. Um, and then at the evening, maybe after that was done, they went to hear Paul. And then after that, they went home. And they searched the scriptures. They didn't make a note to themselves and say, oh yeah, maybe, uh, you know, when, when Paul leaves here, we'll go back and we'll see if that's really true. By that time, of course, they would have forgotten what he said. So on a daily basis, they go back and while it's fresh in their mind, they begin to look at what he said. Not in a critical way of, of saying, well, um, you know, if, if uh, is, is that correct or should I, you know, 
what should I do with it? But they were interested in finding out more and interested in finding out if it was consistent with Scripture. Um, when we look, I'd like to talk just a little bit about critical listening. And I've, I've, what I've discovered is that many people don't know what the word critical means. Uh, sometimes you heard you hear the, name, the, the term critical juncture, uh, which is really a redundancy because that's what critical is. It's a, it's a juncture. It's a turning point. Um, and so when we're critically listening, we are looking for something that we are expecting is going to be in a different vein from what we have heard before. Now there are different types of ministry. There is what I'll call pastoral ministry. And that could be either subdivided into what is called expository ministry, which is to take up a passage from Scripture and to talk about what it means. Or we could have topical ministry, which skips over many different verses and attempt to weld them together into some coherent topical framework. Either one of those are pastoral ministry. Now you'll understand what pastoral is. I know that it says the Lord said to Peter, feed my sheep. But he didn't literally mean that Peter was to go out and literally spoon feed the sheep. Because that's not what a shepherd does. A shepherd does not literally feed his flock. A shepherd pastures his flock, hence the name pastor. Um, A shepherd finds good pasturage for the flock. He expects the flock to feed themselves. The sheep, if they're in good health and uh, there's nothing otherwise the case, then he would expect the sheep to go out and take care of filling their own bellies. He doesn't expect to do that for him. them. He's looking for several things. He's looking for good pasture. He's looking for something that will be quality food for the sheep so that they'll, be, uh, they'll, they'll grow properly. And he's looking for bad things in the field as well. He's looking for noxious weeds, maybe that would cause the sheep to become ill if they were to graze on it. He's looking for things that would get into their wool that when they're sheared, it's going to be expensive to remove. And therefore, the, 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 what he'll get for the, the, the wool once it's been sheared will be diminished because they've been into the wrong kinds of places and their wool is all full of stuff that it shouldn't have. So their fruit, if we could put it that way, is of less value. And so that's that's what the, the, the pastor is doing, and that's pastoral ministry. Then there's devotional ministry, and the devotional ministry is really not intended to educate so much as it is intended to give a person an appreciation of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's a different line of ministry. Uh, what what we can expect and what would, would warm our heart about the person of Christ. And then, in addition to that, there would be exhortational ministry, which would try to build people up, so that as they would uh, go out into the world outside, that there is a somewhat of a danger in that, and that it can deteriorate into a cheerleading session that doesn't really have much long-term value, but there is some value in exhortational ministry. There is comforting ministry. Some people are just going through difficult times. You wouldn't want, you wouldn't want to live on a diet of uh, Advil, 
but nonetheless, it can be valuable at times, and so there is a place for ministry of comfort as well. Then there's the role of serendipity. Serendipity, uh, the, the name is from a, uh, a French fairy tale, but serendipity is finding treasure when you didn't expect to find it. And part of the role of ministry is serendipity, to find things that you didn't expect to find. If we're like Charlie, and we go to a conference, and all we want to hear is our ministry, the type we've heard a hundred times before, and everything else we just tune out, put our earplugs in, we don't want to hear, this is not my ministry, then we've lost serendipity. There are things that we might never have been interested in, but God has something to say to us. You know, it's, it's increasingly common, you know, that, uh, well, you know, you're, everything you do online is, is monitored, and so they can tell what kind of a person you are and feed you things that you're interested in. And one of the things you lose with that is you lose serendipity. I think for probably almost 45 years now, I've read the New York Times every morning. Um, and I read all sections that I don't necessarily care about. I page through the fashion section and the home section. And frankly, 99% of what's in there, I just turn the page and keep on going. But once in a while, you see something that piques your curiosity. Something that if I had a pre-filtered news feed, would never end up showing up on my page because it's already been filtered out. So something has come along and said, Ted's not interested in that stuff and we'll just pull it out. And I don't like that. I like to be able to see things that sometimes I would not have otherwise known was of interest to me. And there is something to that in ministry as well, to not go to listen to ministry with preconceived notions of what I want to hear, but with the notion that God may have something to say to me that never really occurred to me before. Then there's the, so those are the genres of ministry. We have to look at the topic of the ministry. Do you know what the preacher is talking about? Sometimes that's not obvious, and so we have to understand as we're listening to him, what is he talking to us about? What is the structure of the ministry? There is deductive ministry and there is inductive ministry. Deductive ministry is the standard type. The preacher says, this is what I'm going to talk about, and then he talks about it. When he's all done, he said, this is what I talked about. Um, Inductive ministry, you probably most commonly find, is more engaging to the listener. Um, It's most common in children's meetings. Typically, when somebody gets up to speak to children, they start to speak. They know what they're, where they're headed, but you have no idea what they're, where they're headed. They start going with the children, and they know that that's a good way to reach children because they've got their attention. They've, they've, they've got them, and the children keep wanting to listen to find out, where am I going with this? And then, of course, at the end, of course, is when they bring in. They don't say at the beginning, well, I'm going to talk to you today about this, this, and this, and then begin, because then the children are gone. They say, oh, I know what this is about, you know, and they just tune it out. And so that type, whether that works all that well uh, for adult ministry uh, can be questioned. Many preachers avoid it. Um, and I would say in, you know, in mixed audiences where there are people for whom English is a second language, it may not always be the wisest choice of a structure for, for ministry. And then finally, uh, just to close it up here, there is the follow-up. What 
are we going to do with what we heard? First question is, are there action points that we need to take? Did we hear things that say, you know, what I'm doing is really needs to change or I need to do something I'm not doing now? Are there action items that I need to take away from this and that I need to follow up on? Second question, are there things that I didn't, that I need to follow up on in terms of my understanding? That was what the what the uh, the Bereans did. They took it away and they said, well, let me go back and look at this some more. They heard something that was different from what they were used to hearing. They didn't reject it, but they took it home with them and they began to research it more fully. And so it may be that there are things that need follow-up. And then finally, uh, as a last item, there is things to meditate on. Things that we may not disagree with, things we're very comfortable with, but things that we want to take with us uh, and think about as we go on our way. And so with that, we'll close up with that simple message that the Lord Jesus told, He that has an ear, let him hear. Our Father, we come 